0: Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jardin's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Lebon, CEO and founder of Carbon Risk Tech Platform, ME. Thanks for joining me today, Michael.
1: No worries, Elise. Thanks for having me.
0: So to start, for those not familiar with your company, can you start with what does the company do?
1: So the whole premise of EMI and why we exist is to allow um, institutional investors to begin with as a start point, to basically understand the financial exposure of any listed company and and also the institutional investors portfolio to a carbon constrained economy. So that is to say, if we were to enter it, we know we have to go into a carbon constrained world, but we're not there yet. Mm. But if we were to enter into the carbon constraints that we know we need to achieve for either a one and a half, two or four degree world, how does that company actually perform now? And how much work does it need to do both financially and from an emissions reduction point of view going forward?
0: And is it hard or difficult? How do you measure that?
1: So we look at this as from a carbon risk point of view, we don't see this as a pure carbon footprinting point of view. So this the whole transition or decarbonisation to net zero to you know twenty fifty twenty eight depending on who you talk to, yeah. it's not about going to zero tomorrow because you know obviously if we went to zero tomorrow, well that's great but our economy stops and you know okay great we might halt um, climate change in its tracks but you know economic destruction you know standard of living all of that goes away. So what we do is we effectively look at what are the global carbon budgets that are required that we would be required to met under a one and a half two or four degree world but then we overlay that and say okay what economic value you know how much of the carbon budget can a particular company have based on the economic value they're they're basically generating or another way to say it is if you're generating more economic value then basically you potentially have a higher claim on what a carbon budget could look like because basically as we said this is a transition to net zero so we need to basically becoming more and more productive or more efficient with our carbon emissions so the more productive or more valuable you are as a company, you've effectively got more ability to absorb carbon risk.
0: Yeah. And who are some of your customers?
1: So we've got at the moment, we've got our main customers are super funds and fund managers. So we have Aware Super and Energy Super in the, super spa- in the superannuation space. Then we have Hyperion Asset Management, Melior Investment Management, Perennial, Platypus, as well as um, Sferia and a few others.
0: Um, and i'm curious we know but for those that aren't familiar what are or is the revenue and pricing model
1: so yeah we've designed emmy to be applicable and approachable for the whole financial market because when we think about solving for climate change and carbon risk we can't just sold or just provide a product to the, the 5% of the market that wants to be green or ESG in market that, hey, look how, look at our green credentials. To basically make system change, the whole financial market needs to have synonymous language and a common carbon currency or language around how they deal with risk. So very much in the same way everybody understands how a credit risk or a credit score works. That's how we need, Emmy needs to be synonymous in that point. So we've designed and priced our product in that way. It's, $2,000 for the base product, which is access to our global universe of um, listed companies. And then if you want to do some portfolio analysis and understand your portfolio scores, and um, portfolio exposure, it's $5,000 If it, for a limited port for up to five portfolios, or if you want unlimited at 10,000. And then if you want to get really, really sophisticated and do all these stress testing some scenario and sensitivity analysis, it's $20,000. Now, some people look at us and say, but isn't that cheap? Surely you can't deliver high value product. If you're delivering it at that price and we obviously don't agree we think we provide something that's actually quite useful what we're doing is we're providing the ecosystem and the tools so people can solve for carbon risk and start making their own judgment so this isn't just a one-stop rating that isn't interactive you can really start to understand it you can flex it effectively like you do any other piece of financial analysis and we're doing it so you just need to be financially literate and you can understand it. You don't need a PhD in climate science or need to manage big carbon data sets. It's, you're a financial analyst and it, it takes the blindfolds off and the murkiness around carbon risk and really helps you to do your job and be a financial analyst slash investor.
0: Yeah, we're always looking for those tools that make our life easier. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. Is it relevant just for Australia or has it got a broader geographical footprint?
1: Uh, no. So we've designed this to be globally applicable. Our view internally is if we only cover Australia, we've already failed. Everybody within EMI is actually, I think this is one of the really nice things. Having having been in the carbon and climate space for 15 years, I've seen people really starting to want to do stuff and make a difference. Everybody at Emmy is actually first and foremost driven around making a change and making the impact around helping the market to identify this risk. And at the end of the day, this is about trying to influence and reduce billions and billions of tons of co2 so that's why we say if we only cover australia we've already failed this needs to be globally applicable our metrics and our system is already globally it already covers global stocks we've at the moment we've got about three and a half or just under three thousand global stocks we are putting more and more on as customers come it's literally just a matter of us turning data feeds on and we are starting like most of our clients are australian based but we are starting to get um interest from Um, some New Zealand clients and also some US clients. So we'll concentrate on Australia, prove it out here for the next six to nine months, and then we plan to expand globally, our customer base globally next year.
0: Great. And thinking about the industry and the size of the opportunity, do you find that you are getting spend from somewhere else that they're spending now? You mentioned that $2,000 starting point, or are you finding that this is coming from a a different part of their business as
1: currently stands yeah so this is actually a really good point when we started this journey obviously carbon was very much in the esg space and you know a lot of people have esg budgets and you know there's a lot of fatigue around oh not another like data feed we've got to pay for this that and the other so i guess that was the first point why we why we initially made it well why we've made it the price point we have is so that the conversation we have with our clients is price isn't actually the issue. It's like, is this usable? Okay, cool, yes, we'll use it. But mm-hmm. what we're discovering is because of the way we do our analysis and we're pulling, where we treat effectively carbon as a financial risk or liability, and effectively, as some of our clients have said, oh, you're actually doing carbon risk-adjusted return analysis, taking it away from that ESG space and bringing it into mainstream finance. So all of a sudden, as you mentioned just before, Elise, are we taking away from a you know, what pot of money or budget is it coming from? is we are starting to see people going, okay, yeah, it's ESG, but it's actually core financial metric risk that we need to understand. And so it's not necessarily so that size of the market yet. Yeah, two, three years ago, people were like, oh, it's ESG, it's not a very big, you know, the spend's small. But as, as people realize this is just a financial risk that you need to be on top of, it's the whole financial market is in our whole effectively PAM. And, you know, that's a very, very, very large market. And hence why we're, Design it to be frictionless and seamless to um, integrate with everyone.
0: And with the global goals which you have, is it pretty easy to roll this out and reach those other customers globally?
1: Yeah, so we see this this like becomes a distribution sort of task. After you know, in Australia, obviously, we know we have quite deep networks through our um, our team and our board. And then there's obviously Australia is quite a small market. So there's definitely word of mouth. We've been getting referrals from people going, oh, we've spoke to XYZ. Obviously, some of our core clients are, are very, very big supporters of ours. I won't just name any of them because I'll, I'll miss one and then I'll do them all. I'll do someone of our All of our clients are big supporters of what we're doing because we're actually, the way we do it, we're trying to actually, as I said, pull that blindfold off in a data-driven objective way but obviously as we expand globally we don't have those networks nearly as well as we have them in Australia but we're working with as we said this then becomes a distribution channel this isn't sale, this isn't door to door sales this becomes something that because it's the way we make it work and the use case of it is we go down that product led growth strategy where it almost starts to sell itself once it becomes synonymous in the market people start understanding it but we are looking to do partnership deals with you know the big, the asset consultants, the proxy advisors and all of that, because they obviously, it helps their clients, it helps them understand, but then it also helps their clients. And you can sort of see how then that rolls through Mm -hmm. to all the other, you know, you then start getting global distribution and um, coverage.
0: Yeah. And thinking about the competitive landscape, who do you see as your main competitors?
1: So that's a really interesting point. When we first started this, everyone was like, oh, your competitors are obviously the Miskis, Sustainalytics, S&P True Costs of the world. They're, you know, they're huge incumbents. They've got a huge amount of resources behind them. Why on earth is a small little company out of Australia ever going to be able to compete with someone like that? And we we sat down and we said, yeah, but we feel different to them. We're not like, we're not that. And the so, yes, you, they could be seen as a competitor in a way, but they're in the business of really selling ratings and you know doing the analysis and really saying this is the answer for you this is what our view of is we've done all this like qualitative and human based analysis and we've looked into the we're not like that we're saying we have an algorithmic based data driven objective ecosystem where we have done a globally consistent template so that you, we get an absolute base case of where everybody sits but unlike everybody else, anybody can then come into our system and start reconciling different assumptions. And so, as I said, we're not a rating. We don't just provide a rating and that's it and that you just got to believe it. You can actually come in and reconcile the data and really understand. So, for example, everyone says, well, how on earth do you treat airlines versus renewable energy companies versus fossil oil companies versus, you know, how can you all treat them exactly the same? And our answer is, well, we start with that case, but then you, what you can do is you can overlay... Like sector specific or company specific assumptions. So, very much then you can have these intelligent conversations with investors and the corporates to go, okay, we believe this, 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 and this. And these are the assumptions you made. That gets you to point A. But we actually don't believe what happens if you don't achieve 20% growth? And what happens if you don't achieve 40% emission reduction? What happens if it's only 10% growth and a 20% emission reduction? Where does that put you? So, then you as an investor go, okay, I can do my work as an investment analyst and go, it's the same way as if any people get financial forecasts from companies, but they then go and do their own numbers and reconcile where they think that sits. And that's what we do as opposed to just giving a number and that gets plugged into a system. So that's why we technically, you could see them as competitive, but we actually think we're in a way complementary offer a different service. And then mm-hmm. as we build out our framework, we're actually looking, we will be collaborating with other sort of service providers within the carbon space, you know, we're not carbon accountants. We don't We don't sit in the carbon accounting space. We will mm-hmm. collaborate with people to help companies do their carbon accounting. You know, mm-hmm. then as people start providing financial risk products around carbon, that's another complementary. So we see this as sort of the backbone or piece of infrastructure that people can collaborate onto.
0: It sounds as though it's quite unique and it's differentiated coming into the industry. I guess with that in mind, how do you stop others coming in? What's that competitive mold that you've created?
1: Yeah. So I guess there's a few things going on there is you can't just like, we've got a lot of experience in this as in like, um, it's not something I've seen people come in. I guess I've been in the carbon space for 15 years now, trading, pricing, carbon and climate finance, you know, millions and millions of tons of CO2, i um, sorry, of carbon credits and I've seen what works and what doesn't work. And then that complemented with our head of product and um, technology, Ben McNeil, who's got 25 plus years experience in climate and data science. That's core skill that you can't just replicate. Plus, our um, you know we've got deep financial analysis and data like um, data science and um, computer science through our team. So it's you, to be able to actually replicate what we've done you need these really really specific core deep competencies that's one thing obviously you know that doesn't stop anybody you, you could replicate that I guess what we're then doing though is we're always sitting at the front end of okay what's next how do we evolve how do we make sure as you said that moat's there and the, there's a few things that's going on and I won't divulge all of them because obviously I don't want to give everything away right now but one thing that we're really working on and that we're super excited about is I guess when you look at carbon emissions in the market they When they're reported or sitting like with the big data aggregators, they're generally 12 to 18 months lagged. So right Mm -hmm. now we're sitting in 2021 and most of the market is is only seeing 2019 carbon data, which has a bit of a problem. What we're doing is we're working with the University of Otago who have a PhD graduate or PhD postdoc. She spent her whole PhD basically trying to work out using machine learning and AI, how we can predict carbon emissions for corporates just using their financial statements. And she's, she's actually worked that out. So we're working with them to integrate that into our system so we can actually do timely predictions of carbon emissions, scope one, scope two, and scope three for any listed corporate as soon as their financials drop. Yeah. So all of a sudden where you can see this goes is quarterly reporting season happens and everybody goes to ground because, like, okay, we've got to understand what the quarterly reports, how do we do it? What do we manage? But then at the same time, we're then dropping, yes, it's predicted, but we'll have uncertainty analysis around it. We're 95% confidence this is the bounds it sits and this is how you sit in an Emmy score under these assumptions that all of a sudden we're pushing what was, again, taking that carbon out of the SG and pushing it into the timely manner when people are doing their financial analysis to go, okay, that really brings it in and people then start looking at it. As we're building that out, that's incredibly hard to replicate. Um, and then there's a few other things that we're always constantly evolving doing R&D to make sure that, as you said, that little old company from, Ad, from sorry, not Adelaide, that's where I'm originally from. <laughs> we do actually have people working in Adelaide, so um, Adelaide's <laughs> a great city. That little old company from Australia is actually doing like, we're so much more nimble and agile that we can move a lot more rapidly because of the skill set and how we've designed the whole system.
0: Yeah. And we do see that a lot in the tech space from other stocks, which we cover in our listed space where you see those small disruptors being able to be quick and nimble, exactly as you yeah. point out. It's not always the, the big that, you know, the small, it's the fast that get the quick, as I yeah, say. <laughs> exactly.
1: And I think it's, It's also the just the drive and the passion that our whole team has is. It's amazing to see. You know, I was actually saying to the guys when we launched um, commercially launched in the start of May with everything we 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 did it. We said we're doing May the fourth and we hit it. And as we just decomposing afterwards, and I I didn't even mean to say it, but I was just like, and we'll make this work because I don't want to do anything else. I'm actually having too much fun with you all, and it was (laughs) they were all sharing that, and it's actually really like seeing that. I was reading an article about the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright, who obviously they designed the first plane. They weren't actually, they were way, 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 way more undercapitalized than another guy out of New York who had, he had all the money. He had a huge team and everything, but they were driven by money. They didn't have this passion and they didn't have this drive. I can't actually remember the guy's name. He was in the article, but this was the whole point. They weren't driven they, that big. They were well capitalised, but they weren't nimble. They, didn't, they weren't working all hours. They weren't grinding at it because they really believed in it. And that's mm. I sort of see the parallels with us is everybody within ME is driven to actually make a difference around decarbonization first and foremost. And that's why, obviously, that's how we're building our mode out the whole time
0: fantastic and thinking about some of the economics behind the business those startup costs are always high but where are you seeing the bulk of your spend today it sounds like it could be r&d and where do you think that trends longer term
1: yeah so our bulk of our costs uh data feeds are one at the moment because mm-hmm. obviously we need to that's one of the premises is we don't We can get a read on companies without companies putting the information. And obviously, over time, as the institutional investors start, you know, understanding this and start engaging with the corporates, the corporates will then start providing us that information. We provide them insights. So there's a data feed cost. And then, yeah, it's employees and R&D. So, you know, we are obviously, you know, we're a data driven objective system, but we have to do a lot of work. You know, it's all building it and uh, sort of development time. So the way we see it is, yeah, obviously, as we expand, we will have more and more requirements for, you know, building out this, you know, you don't want to know the list. We we actually had a priority setting meeting yesterday. We're like, well, we need to actually sit down. What are we doing? And the list just, got, like, just kept going. So there's a lot of things that we can do and we're really excited about it. But obviously, we need to work that through with obviously, the one thing I've learned is you need to listen to your customers. Mm-hmm. So this will grow out as we get more and more customers. We will understand what they want, how we're building it out. Um, We're excited to be working on TCFD requirement, like TCFD style reporting. So we sold not only do you just get your line carbon risk, but you can actually understand and report under TCFD as an institutional investor all of these sort of functionalities that we're building out, just they do take time because we need to get them right. So we see, I guess, our employee growth will, just, will will naturally progress. Yeah, so obviously we see that growing. We'd like to think that the revenue will start feeding this quite quickly, though, because of the the seamless and the, the usability and intuitiveness of the whole process.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious, with the number of companies that are coming through, are you starting to see a bit of those companies coming in or are you pitching more to the corporates and institutional funds as you've mentioned as your key customers
1: yeah so we've got a view so we started when so emmy i started emmy probably about four years ago as it was almost a bit of a passion project when i first started and it was very 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 much directed at the corporates this is solving your problem Mm. but what i realized was if you're doing, if you're starting at that end and you're dealing straight with the corporates, you're only going to get the very, very, very highly engaged corporates, which are probably the ones that are already going to solve the problem. Mm. So we actually, they're only going to do it if they're going to be like there's going to be some form of enforcement or compliance on them. And realistically, they're either going to be enforced by government or via their providers of finance. And obviously, we can't influence government. So we, but we can help the private sector to understand what the risk is and start to manage it. So our initial clients, we very much focused on that institutional investor space. Because they can start that flywheel and start that momentum and saying, well, we understand this. But then as they all start talking and start going, engaging with their, with the, you know, the companies that they're invested in, then we see the company start going, coming towards us. We now we are actually starting to work with a couple of companies. We've had a couple of them come to us. We've had a little bit of press lately. And obviously, people, you know, Australia being a small space, people are starting to talk about what we're doing. And it's, it's really heartening to see these corporates, you know, I, I won't name them because we're in very, very early stages with them, but they're not all, not all of them are the, what you'd consider the good performers. It's the ones, again, this is the whole premise of Emmy. Just because you get a low Emmy score right now does not mean that you can't make the transition to net zero. If you don't plan though, and you don't understand it, you don't explain it to your stakeholders and let them understand how you're doing it. Well, then you do have a serious problem. So we're starting to see the corporates realize like this is not, we're not trying to whack them over the head. There's no advocacy in this. This is the data is what the data is. And so that's why we believe we're getting the corporates coming to us because they're like, okay, we have our investors asking us. We know that's going to come. Plus we need to be able to plan for this so we can do our own internal analysis. And rather than saying, well, we're just going to do this because this is what we think technology is going to do. It's like, no, these are what the targets are actually going to do. We don't know what technology is going to do in 10 years time what we do know is we are going to be in a decarbonized world and these are the risk bands that we are going to be playing in so how do we make sure that we continue to be competitive
0: yeah and when you think about that it seems like a good go-to-market strategy there what are you seeing with your customer stickiness have you seen many customers go oh, once they've been better than that system they're accustomed to using it this day
1: Yeah. So obviously we're quite young, so I haven't seen any churn yet. That's great. I can say absolutely no churn just (laughs) yet. Yeah. So no, but we, I guess we're focusing, that's obviously something we're very much aware of and we are designing the system so that there is no reason, like why would someone want to leave? Some people say to us, "Or why couldn't somebody just do this themselves? And I'm just like, the answer is well, technically, once they've been on our system, yes, they could do it themselves. But as you mentioned before, Elise, it's you know, you're always looking for tools that make your life easier and you can do a better job. So we're providing something that yes, you could do internally, but it's probably going you probably have to put an analyst on it full time. You have to manage data sets, you have to understand all the, the latest in climate science and all that. So why are you doing that when you can like it costs you five to ten thousand dollars to do it on Emmy? Plus you get the benefit of this is the shared language that everybody is talking about. So it then creates this stickiness and there's this basically we see it as that base like underlying piece of infrastructure that everybody talks and uses.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned this long list that you've got of things that you want to do to grow. And I'm sure it'd be a very early phase, but if we think about your growth profile, is it more about adding on more options and capability, or is it more about focusing on the global rollout, or is it Trying to get more customers and broaden who your customer suite is. What's your top three?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, little column A, little column B and C. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so it's um very much so we the way we see EMI working is we've got Carbon Alpha is what we're calling the institutional investor product, which is very much it's that you know global global stock coverage, and then you can do your portfolio analytics tool and reporting, and as we said, we'll build out the TCFD. So reporting for that and then you can do your scenario analysis, sensitivity analysis, all that sort of stuff. So there's that that will build out and obviously that will start growing. You know, there's obviously, you know, superannuation funds, fund managers, banks. Um, we've seen brokers starting to show interest in it. There's actually quite a big system just there. So we'll, we'll certainly grow that out. We need to obviously make sure carbon alpha is as good as it possibly can be. Then we have carbon solver, which is the um, the corporate tool, and obviously we want to grow that out as quickly as possible because that's when we start getting this network effect. We it's all actually total. We have the ability to do carbon solver and work with corporates right now. But we haven't built out that front end yet, simply because if anything, I've learned over the last four years, it's much better to build it out with a couple of key clients, so you get instantaneous feedback rather than like tinkering, tinkering away in the like the proverbial lab and going, oh, this is wonderful. Then you throw it to the market, I'm like, no, we don't want that. It's a Great <laughs> way to spend a lot of waste a lot of time and money, and I've, I've been there, so I'm not going to do that again. Um, yeah. <laughs> then, so we'll, we'll grow that out. And then obviously that, you know, we start getting the corporates on board. We start helping them understand what their risks are, help them engage with stakeholders, explain what they're, how they're doing it. And then we can start to get that reconciliation going. What investors and corporates, they actually now finally all speak the same language, understand it all. But then on top of all of that, yes, we will then be looking for that global expansion. So, yeah, there's a few, there's a few moving parts in all of that, but it's certainly exciting. And um, yeah, as I said, everybody's pretty motivated about what, what can happen and where we're going.
0: For sure, and it sounds like there's a lot right in front of you. But to throw another one in the works, what about M&A? Do you think that that's in the pipeline?
1: Uh, as far as us transacting and buying, or the other way? Yes, around?
0: yes, more so that side.
1: Yeah. So right now, we're obviously focusing very much on core growth and what we do, and organically growing that out. I think I mentioned earlier that like we see this as being a collaborative ecosystem that other people yeah. can plug in and do stuff. But I guess as we move out you know if we we have our own internal emission uh, modeling capability and all of that if there's comes some parts and um you know i guess functions come along that are bet no we can not we don't do as well but somebody else has got it then absolutely you know there would be that ability to sort of bring it in house and say okay well, we plug that in and if it's wholly owned it, we, obviously it works better so obviously right now we're very you know I, i'm not, lot too lot sure, <laughs> not too sure the invest our, our investors be too happy if it's like here you go what are you doing oh we're just going to go and buy this company that's what we're doing i'm not sure they'll be too happy with that idea yeah obviously it's it, as we go it's all about how do we scale this the fastest and ensure that we have that global traction and that global impact that we really want to have and you know when you think of from the climate system we don't have time to make this go slow over 10 years and say oh, over 10 years we built this business this is something that you know We need to solve the problem now and get onto that transition track and, you know, allow the financial community to do it because when capital starts talking, people actually listen and that's that's how you solve climate change in the end.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you're solving a real issue that's happening in the business and it's got a lot of growth and trends. If there is anybody who is keen to hear more, please do reach out to myself, Elise Kennedy at Jarden, or Michael Le the CEO and founder of Carbon Risk Tech Pla- Platform, Emmy. Thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate your time and I'm sure in a couple of months we'll circle around and see the growth that you've had since our chat.
1: Absolutely. Absolute pleasure, Lise. Thanks for having me.